showing up is not checking out. It's not Mm. numbing. It's not escaping. It's not, you know, turning the volume down on our life, whether it's with a glass of wine, scrolling on social media, binge watching TV, porn, masturbation, just checking out of our bodies and just feeling really, Mm -hmm. you know, foggy. Showing up is not doing any of that. It's putting your feet on the ground and being like, I'm going to be where my feet are. Life on life's terms. I'm just going to show up to today. And what can I do? And usually it's something practical, like whether it's cooking dinner, cleaning the kitchen, going for a run, like getting outside of the swirl in our minds and like the all consuming feeling of emotion and moving our bodies. A dream can be anything, whether yours is to start a business, be in a healthy relationship, pursue your dream career, or to get right spiritually. Every week, the Dream Check podcast brings you tips, tricks, and real life insight from people who are living their dreams to the fullest. I'm Nicole Ivanoff, an established international wedding photographer and wife. Like you, I have so many dreams, some of which I've lived out and others I'm still pursuing daily. I'm a girl from suburban Detroit who's made her way out to LA, and although I'm no guru, I have a heart to show you that if I or anyone who comes on this podcast can do it, so can you. Welcome to the show. Time to check in. What's up, friends, and welcome back for another episode of the Dream Check Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Ivanoff. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. I'm so happy that you're here. Today we have on Chantelle Nelson. Chantelle and I literally met on Instagram two days before we did this recording. And the moment she DM'd me back, I already knew we were going to be friends. Like her vibe was totally my vibe. And I'm so honored to introduce her to the show today. She's a mom of two. She's a wife and she's a personal life coach. You guys, she is so wise, so intelligent, so encouraging. Today we talk about how we can show up in our life, regardless of the season, regardless of the circumstance, how you can show up for yourself. We also talk on healing, what that looks like, how to create healthy boundaries. We talk a lot about therapy. We dive deep into therapy, actually. She talks about how God saves us, but he doesn't make our choices for us. I mean, that statement right there is so powerful. I don't want to give away too much. You guys just have to listen. I'm so excited. Let's welcome Chantel to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. You guys, Chantel and I literally met on Instagram like two days ago or something. One of my friends um, sent her profile to me and said she'd be perfect for the podcast. So naturally... I hit her up, slid in the DMs, and she said she eats podcasts for breakfast. And so here we are. And I've been using that line ever since. It's so true. (laughs) Sometimes I don't eat breakfast because I just ate a whole bunch of podcasts. (laughs) And also because I'm a mom of two and we just run out of time. I love that. I'm not a mom yet, but I, I can totally see where you're coming from. Okay. So the burning question that I ask every guest, what is a dream that you have right now? I love this question because I think maybe seven years ago, I would, wouldn't have even been able to tell you one thing because dreaming was a muscle that I hadn't built yet. And Mm. I used to just think that in order to get your dreams, you had to just do a bunch of stuff and that it just couldn't, 
it was what you did. You went to school, then you got a master's. You went to did this and then you got this job. And then that was the extent of dreaming. I didn't actually know what it meant to dream outside of my current means, outside of even what's logical. And so dreaming has been a muscle I've built over the years. But I would say right now, my dream for my work would be I'm writing a book right now. And so my dream would be that I would finish that by the end of this year. And then my dream for my family is I want to go to Disneyland with my two boys. (gasps) I love that. I really want to. Well, I love that. I love the idea behind a dream being a muscle. That's something my husband has, you know, kind of taught me is everything in life is kind of like a muscle. You know, if you're not used to dreaming, then you would need to build that up and not only like learn how to dream, but how to believe in yourself and believe in those dreams. And that's kind of the whole premise behind this podcast, too, is like, I want to have people on the show that have big dreams, you know, to encourage others who maybe don't know what their dreams are or don't know how to dream, but also just examples of, you know, if God can do it for you, he can do it for anyone. And so I love, I love this question because I love hearing other people's dreams and how much it inspires and encourages others to dream and do the same. So thank you for sharing. So who is Chantal? Give us a little brief introduction of who you are, um, maybe a little bit of your testimony. I always think this is the hardest question because it's so broad to answer. I was born October 10th, 1988 in Calgary, Alberta, (laughs) Canada, which a lot of people, when I first moved here, thought that I lived in an igloo and I got to people's houses on snowshoes, which maybe they don't teach enough about Canada in American schools, but we had to learn all about y'all. So, (laughs) but people (laughs) literally thought that I lived in an igloo and walked on snowshoes and that people had to bring food to my door because it was too cold to go outside. Oh my gosh. I'm from Detroit. So I feel like I have a little bit of an understanding of Canada. You're our neighbor. Yeah. It's our neighbor. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, long story short, I grew up in Canada. I was on the fast track to becoming a licensed psychologist. And I had a whole plan in my mind to become a psychologist, open my own practice But then I had the dream of going to Redding, California and coming to the ministry school here. And so I put it on pause a little bit and I came to ministry school here. I met my husband in second year. We got married at the end of third year, which is the ministry school dream. And he got hired on at the church. I finished my master's degree a month before I had my first son. So we got pregnant four months into marriage. And now I'm living life with my beautiful family. Um, I'm a life coach here in Reading, and I love it so much, helping women get unstuck. I specifically focus on like women stuck in cycles of eating or checking out or dissociating or just cycles that kind of keep us stuck in this survival state that keep us from living the full and abundant life we were called to live. And It was from years of just living in survival mode for so many years because I just didn't like myself. And Mm -hmm. I was constantly trying to fill this hole inside of myself with boys and dating and sex and drinking and partying and all the stuff, just trying to fill a hole and meet a need. And it was just like filling a cup with a bunch of holes in it. It would get filled for a second and then I would just run dry and go searching for the next not fix like a drug addict, but like a fix that would make me feel enough or valued or loved or like I belonged. 
And mm-hmm. it was just these stuck in these cycles of insecurity and codependency and self-hatred and fear and anxiety that just kept me stuck in this life that I just couldn't get out of. I felt trapped in my physical body. I felt trapped in my mind, in my seasons that I was in. And it wasn't until really I got pregnant with my first son that I realized there's a lot of messy stuff inside of me that it's going to mess up my marriage, but ultimately it's going to mess up my kids and my legacy and what I'm trying to build. And so I went to therapy every week for 18 months and I got whole and healthy from the inside out. And I can honestly say like, I've done so much counseling in my life. My marriage has done done so much counseling and we're on the other side of so many hard and painful things, but because we put in the work and Jesus changed our marriage, our life, all of that. But at the same time, we put in the work too to be where we are today. There's so much to unpack there. I have so many questions only because we've never met before this either. And I like to go deep. So I'm like, wait, I want to have so many questions. (laughs) I love when you're talking about being stuck because I feel like so many people are stuck, but you don't really know you're stuck when you're stuck if that makes sense. And it's confusing to understand, but I I was there before. I would say I was stuck from age 16 till I found God at 27. And um, I think it's the hardest part is like when you don't know you need help, when people come to you for help or to help you, you almost like push them away because you don't want to believe that like you need help. But there's something deep inside you that's like, wait, something needs to change. Like I've been stuck in this way, this pattern. And like you said, it's the passing joy. It's like small things that are filling my cup cup temporarily, but then they're just like the cup is spilling out. And then like, then you feel down again and then it needs to be filled again. So how does one seek, like what is the step to like seeking unstuckness? And, you know, for me, and I think for you, like Jesus was like the number one step to healing Um, and to getting unstuck, but for maybe someone who doesn't have a close relationship with God, like, what would you say to them? Like, how do they begin to get unstuck in their life? I think that's so interesting that you said so many of us don't actually know that we're stuck. And I think that's the first Mm -hmm. time that I've heard that. And when I look back at my past, I never would have said like, oh, I just feel so stuck. But I Mm -hmm. think I would have used words like, I felt unfulfilled and hopeless And I felt broken. I remember saying that often. Like, I just feel like something inside of me is broken. Like, I feel like a therapist is going to go in there and like find some like deep childhood wound that I had like repressed for a decade. And (laughs) I went to therapy thinking that she was going to come up with this like epiphany of like, oh yeah, this big thing happened and you just shoved it down. She didn't. It was just, I, I mean, I think a lot of us, we were raised with parents who weren't very emotionally attuned and connected themselves. And so we can only give out what we can give ourselves. And I think there was just a real lack of being able to identify our needs. And in order to actually get them met, I always grew up feeling like I was very, like I was the only one of my kind, which made me feel very lonely. And I don't know if my parents fully knew how to like connect with my heart on a deep level to where I felt seen and known and understood. And I think I acted out of that place of being unseen and unknown. And I just tried to fill that hole with boyfriends. And I think I recognized my quote unquote stuckness when 
I had an eating disorder. I had a friend, she had one. And I was like, man, she, all she has to do is not eat. And I'm at the gym trying to work out six days a week and she can just not eat and lose the weight she wants to lose. And I remember I, I developed an eating disorder because she had one. Like that's how much Mm -hmm. I didn't have a sense of self was I just took on the emotions and the states of being of everybody else around me and took it on as my own. And I think I realized that I was stuck when I couldn't stop eating without wanting to go work out right afterwards. I was limiting what I was eating, going to the gym. I couldn't feel okay with myself if I didn't have a boyfriend. I always, I was one of those girls that always needed a a boyfriend. I always needed to be dating somebody. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I felt like I wasn't good enough. And I didn't like that about myself. And I was, I recognized Mm -hmm. there must be something broken inside of me. If I can't survive being on my own without somebody else telling me that I'm good enough. And Mm -hmm. I think just in my mind feeling really swirly and out of control, like I would have panic attacks and I just struggle with a lot of anxiety. And so I just think growing up, getting a little bit older, I was literally getting my schooling in psychology. And I think I diagnosed myself with, with every single thing in the book, every time we learned about it. Um, but I was just getting all of this language to describe the, the state of my being that I just thought was normal for so long until I started getting language. Oh, this isn't normal. Like not eating because you hate yourself What when you look in the mirror and that's not actually a normal thing to do. And so I think I recognized my stuckness by just feeling uncomfortable in what I was doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, again, like we're so similar. I feel like I had the opposite of like, you know, you went from like relationship to relationship. And for me, it was like habitual, like I like you for two weeks, but then once you start to get close and show that you're vulnerable, then I'm backing off and now I find something wrong with you. And so it was really like, I had like a habitual issue of like, connecting with someone but then once there was like a like real connection then I would back away but I read this book um by psychologist I think Nicole I forget her last name but the book is called how to do the work and it literally changed my life I mean I could not pronounce 99% of the words in there but I literally started therapy because of the book this is around last summer and I would just highlight areas in the book where I was like wait I have this, wait, I do this. And I would bring it to my therapist. Like I could never explain this before, but I'm just reading it. And this is what it is. This is what I do. Is this why I do it? And everything goes back to the environment we were raised in. And so, yeah, what would you say going back to the question? Like, how does one first, like, what is the first step someone should do towards healing of, you know, being in an uncomfortable or stuck place in their life? Do they seek a therapist? Do they start journaling? Like, what would you recommend? I honestly, and I say this often, but just opening up to people that you trust. I think we don't recognize the power and the impact of being seen by somebody. And I think a lot of my pain was just exacerbated by the fact that I just kept it so silent. Like I didn't let anybody know that I didn't like the way that I looked in a certain way. And I got someone pointed out something at school, like the size of my nose or the fact that I had leg hair and I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. And I just, I, we didn't have 
a space at home where we came home and we talked about those things. And Mm -hmm. so then it creates this deep root of shame. Like you just feel like there's something wrong with you. If there's not a place where you can go home or go to a safe space and be like, somebody said that I had a big nose today and I felt really insecure about it. And Mm -hmm. I, even when I think about parenting my kids, like my son comes home all the time and says things like so-and-so didn't want to play with me at school today. And we process through it. And I'm like, Oh man, that must've made you feel so lonely. And what did you do after that? What did that make you feel? And when I think about how I parent my kids now from this emotionally aware and attuned place, how much I didn't have that when I was younger, because I never would have come home and said, so-and-so pointed out that I had leg hair when I was sitting on the bench and I felt really uncomfortable about it. I just went home and snuck into my mom's stash of razors and shaved my legs in secret. And I felt so shameful about it. And so I think that the power of having people in our life that we can just open up to, like even before a therapist, I think a therapist Mm -hmm. comes down the road, but just knowing that we're not alone in our human experience and in our pain and our insecurities. And we've all gone through a hard time since 2020. But I think the thing that has kept me afloat is yes, coaching, yes, counseling, but having people in my corner that know every part of my life, that know every part of my marriage, that my husband is going to somebody, I'm going to somebody and that we just don't feel alone. I think that would be Mm -hmm. the first step is, are there people in your life that actually know everything about you and there's nothing hidden from them? You know, what I think is sad is the thought of, some people feeling like they have no one, like Mm -hmm. if they don't have a significant other, if they don't have a a parent figure and they literally just feel like so alone in their emotions and have no one to talk to, like, what would you, I know that's like such a like dramatic, you know, example, but what would you say to that person who just feels like they have no friends, no family, no one to really go to? Yeah. And I think in a post pandemic world, that's more common than Mm -hmm. it used to be. Like I have several clients, like they don't have friends. They don't have close people in their life. And so they voice memo me because I'm their coach and mm-hmm. I give them space to just, Hey, when you're feeling tempted about something, when you're in a swirly place, like just send me a voice message, just mm-hmm. word vomit, get it out, let yourself be seen. And a lot of them do it. And it's so surprising how I'm not changing anything. I'm not Mm-hmm. trying to tell them what to do next. And I'm just listening. And mm-hmm. I think that being able to find a coach, a therapist, a professional, because if you don't have anybody, then a therapist can be that for you. And then they can also be that space where they can identify blind spots. And a lot of times mm-hmm. the reason why we don't have friends is because we don't have a relationship with ourselves first. And so it's hard mm-hmm. to build close connected friendships with other people if we don't have that with ourselves first. And so working with a therapist or a coach who can identify, you know, those blind spots of like, oh, of course I don't have friends because I hate myself. And all I ever do is talk about how horrible of a person I am and how I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. And how can I build a place of friendship when I come at myself from that space? It's like the quote, you can only love others at the level that you love yourself. And if you hate yourself, like you can't expect to have good relationships with anyone, friends, family, romantic relationships. What would you say, like, I know you said you're passionate about helping women like show up in their life, no matter the season, no matter the circumstance. What is what does it look like to show up for yourself? Yeah, I I say show up for yourself a lot because I think it's easy to not have our own back and to check out 
or numb or, and not in like intense ways, but in like, oh, I had a long day at work and coming home and I got to cook dinner. I'm just going to pour myself a big glass of wine because just to take the edge off a little bit and showing up looks like, okay, you know what? I had a really long day. I'm going to text a friend, let them know that my kids are driving me crazy and I feel like nothing I ever do is good enough. And I'm going to plant my feet on the ground. I'm going to cook dinner. I have this setting on my Alexa that anytime I'm having a hard day, and this was when I was learning how to show up for myself because I would just kind of feel what I felt and I would just swirl and let myself just spiral into whether it was overwhelm, anxiety, insecurity, just pity party me. Like, man, my life sucks. Mm -hmm. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. And I would just let myself swirl and stay there. And so for myself, I had to have like a trigger for when I felt that way. And so I created this setting on Alexa and I would just say, Alexa, I'm having a bad day. And then Alexa would tell me like a fun, heartwarming fact, like a story or something. And then she would play this one specific worship album that I was listening to at the time. And then I would clean the kitchen. Like I would pull out the spray and a rag and I would just start cleaning the kitchen and start making dinner. And cause it always happened like kind of around three, this three o'clock space, like the day had gone by. I was just feeling a little overwhelmed, a little drained and feeling sorry for myself. And I would tend to kind of swirl into powerlessness and take it out on my husband and then expect him to come and meet my needs and be everything for me. And I was like, part of showing up for me was I'm going to stand my ground. And in this season, in this circumstance, I'm going to show up for me. And so I'm going to get myself out of this funk, listen to this cute story from Alexa, put on a worship album and just do something practical to pull myself out of feeling sorry for myself or out of feeling powerless or hopeless. And so showing up is not checking out. It's not Mm. numbing. It's not escaping. It's not, you know, turning the volume down on our life, whether it's with a glass of wine, scrolling on social media, binge watching TV, porn, masturbation, just checking out of our bodies and just feeling really, mm-hmm. you know, foggy. Showing up is not doing any of that. It's putting your feet on the ground and being like, I'm going to be where my feet are. I'm life on life's terms. I'm just going to show up to today. And what can I do? And usually it's something practical, like whether it's cooking dinner, cleaning the kitchen, going for a run, like getting outside of the swirl in our minds and like the all consuming feeling of emotion and moving our bodies. Mm. So it's really like embracing the emotions that you're feeling and then showing up for yourself in that moment by like, okay, I'm validating how I feel. Is it something you tell yourself? Like how, like, where's the balance from? I'm just thinking of an example this happens to me often. So I get home from work. I've been gone doing photo shoots all day. I get home. My husband's hungry because I cook for him, but I'm exhausted. And like, I want someone to cook for me, but, but like at my core, like I want to serve him. Like I want to cook for him. But when I'm having a tired, like I'm just having a day where then I'm in my head, like, Oh, why can't he cook? Why do I need to cook? Like all these like negative things where I'm like, wait, but I want to do these things. I'm just, I'm not showing up for myself in that way right now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Showing up would in that moment would look like being honest of like, Mm. babe, I had the hardest day. And I think a lot of times we come home, me and my husband do this sometimes. We were trying to like one up each other on like whose day was harder and whose day was more draining. (laughs) So then who kind of has to cook. But it's like, 
not assuming anything about the other person and not just creating a story in your mind of like, cause I do this too. Like, man, I've been on all, with the kids all day and I have to cook. And like, I've been doing this all day, like X, Y, Z. And so showing up for myself in that moment would look like, you know what? I'm going to acknowledge what I feel right now, babe. I feel so drained. I feel so tired. Nothing inside of me wants to cook right now. I don't know about you, but do you want to go get takeout and snuggle on the couch after the kids go to bed? And it removes us from this like spinning narratives in our mind where we can kind of just tell ourselves whatever we want to believe or create a story about another person. But showing up is just owning the space in front of us and owning the space inside of us of I'm not going to check out like checking out in that moment is like you just let the thoughts run. But showing up is like I'm going to stop that ruminating chatter that I give into so often and I'm going to own what I feel. I'm going to speak what I feel right now so that that narrative can't just have a mind of its own and go running. And I think showing up can look different in a lot of situations. It's showing up in your mental space, in your emotional space, by letting people in, showing up practically by just not checking out and scrolling social media, but like, no, I'm actually going to be present here. I'm not just going to like check out and shut down. So I think it could mean a lot of different things, but it's really just owning the space that you're in and not checking out from it. This happens to me all the time when I'm always so interested in what I'm talking about. I'm like trying to like listen and receive because it's like personal, but then I'm also like, wait, I need to like listen to respond because I'm the host of this podcast. (laughs) But no, I could not relate more. And it's, it's so interesting because so often, like at least for me and and I think for most people, it's easy to like check out Mm -hmm. and like put blame on the person in the room with us rather than like showing up for ourselves, just saying how we feel, why we feel that way. And honestly, when I do that, I feel better. I'm like, okay, great. I got it off my chest. Now I'm happy to cook cook us dinner. Let's move forward. <laughs> but it's like those it's just, thoughts we have, we just let them run in our minds. And then we create this mm-hmm. whole story about our husband is not a great person and he's X, Y, Z, even though we know like none of that is true. The second I open mm-hmm. up to him and say like, babe, I just feel so tired. And he comes in, he's like, yeah, me too. Let's go get takeout. It's like, I could have made this thing way easier by not assuming that you're expecting me to cook, that I'm going to have dinner on the table. Not that this happens, but just, we create these whole narratives in our head instead of just actually saying how we feel in a moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, on the same topic, how important are healthy bound, like creating boundaries when you're on this journey to like you know, healing and getting out of stuckness. I know for me personally, like creating boundaries was huge in, um, you know, this part of my life. Yeah, I think we can, we have to have boundaries everywhere with work, with relationships, with family, extended family, our own physical bodies, our own heart boundaries. And I think a lot of times people interchange boundaries for walls, especially when you come from a place of, where you've kind of always had to be in fight or flight, you set up walls instead of boundaries. And so it pushes people out. Whereas boundaries are actually meant to protect what's inside of the boundary instead of push people out of it, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of times when we're trying to create healthy boundaries, it can be easy to just throw up walls in order to protect ourselves. But boundaries are actually meant to protect what is inside of the boundary. And so just like a practical example, we've set up a boundary around Saturdays being our Sabbath. And that's 
we didn't used to have a Sabbath. Um, I don't know if you know about the Enneagram, but I'm a three mm-hmm. on the Enneagram and my husband has a strong wing three. And so we're just work like he worked till three in the morning last night doing the podcast. I was up at four 30 this morning doing all the back end marketing stuff for the podcast. Like we could be people who fall asleep with our laptops in our bed. And so because of that, we've had to set up a boundary for our family around our Saturdays. And we don't schedule a lot on those days. We make a priority to plan our Sabbath day, to plan family day. It's known in our house, like, okay, today's family day. And everybody knows that's what it is because that boundary actually protects my family from getting trailblazed by work or, okay, a phone call comes in and somebody needs to meet. We can't because we have the boundary of, we don't work on Saturdays. And so we're protecting what's inside of it. I think setting up boundaries with our bodies and like our hearts is what we actually allow inside of our space. And I think a lot of us, I know for me, I was raised in the church. And so there wasn't a lot of boundaries growing up in the church. People just were allowed to come over whenever they were allowed to interrupt whenever you kind of had to have that servant's heart of like, you just be open and willing whenever people need you, but then you get burnt out and tired and compassion fatigued. And so setting up boundaries for our hearts of like, okay, I'm not going to text back right away when clients have an emergency and an SOS, like my family comes first. If I'm with my family, then I have to set up boundaries with that. For myself, setting up boundaries physically when I was getting out of that like boyfriend lifestyle was I'm not going to hang out with people after 9 p.m. People say nothing good happens after midnight. I'm like, no, nothing good happens after 9 p.m. <laughs> not when there's a boy and a girl in the same room. It's nine, maybe eight. And so setting up physical boundaries like that, when me and my husband were dating, it was we don't hang out with other, if other people aren't in the house, because that's just smart protecting ourselves. We don't hang out after 9 PM. We don't text late into the night. And so boundaries are protecting what's actually valuable to us. That's so good. I love that. My husband and I had a strict 11 PM curfew when we were dating and I've shared this on the podcast before, but it would literally be like 10 58 PM. And he'd be like lacing up his shoes. And I'm like, what? my gosh, like this is for real. And he was like the first guy I really dated that boundaries were important for him and for me and for the sake of our, you know, marriage and relationship. I love the quote. It's not, I guess not really quote, but boundaries are like, so a wall keeps everyone out, but a gate, you decide who gets in. And I think that is so powerful when it comes to like people in your life, when you're on this journey of healing and bettering yourself. I think there are people in your life who maybe aren't on that same journey and could really hold you down. And I know it's really hard when it's family. So what would you say to someone who maybe is on a journey in their life where they're trying to better themselves, but they have people close to them that are not doing that? And um, how do they put boundaries up with someone? It couldn't even be a spouse with someone who isn't on that same journey as them. I love what you said about your husband lacing up his shoes at 11:58 because he's he was communicating value to something that you valued. And I think mm-hmm. that's what boundaries do. They are us communicating our values and if people aren't respecting our values and what we value and what we want and what we're going after, then a boundary has to get set because then that means they can just come in and wreak havoc on the things that we value. And I think we have to undo the language that setting up a boundary is a 
bad or hurtful or mean thing. And it's not like we go to that person and we're like, I had to set up a boundary against you because you were coming in here and not respecting my space. And sometimes we do, sometimes we have to communicate in that kind of a way, but a boundary is just something where we don't hang out with that person as much. Like they're not the person in our top five people anymore. And I don't know if you've ever seen those, like, it's like a diagram of the circles of trust where like there's the small circle on the inside and that's like you and your mm, husband. Mm-hmm. And then on the outs, the next one is like you and a close friends. And then the next one is kind of coworkers and then way on the outskirts are like people you've met once. And I think a lot of times we think that it's just supposed to be one big circle where everybody gets access to us because that's love or that's being vulnerable with people, but it's actually not wisdom to just let everybody have access to every part of us. And so I think boundaries are very personal. And I think where we Mm -hmm. can get caught up is if somebody else's judgment or opinion or dislike of our boundary means that we're uncomfortable and like, okay, maybe I should shift it now. And then that's just us valuing, not valuing what we want to value and telling somebody Mm -hmm. else like, oh yeah, you don't have to value this that much, if that makes sense. And so I think- I think taking away this, this idea that setting up a boundary is mean because you can do it in a kind, loving way. Like I have friends who aren't in the same level of friendship as they used to be, but it's not like when I see them, I'm any less loving or caring about their life. It's just, I have different Mm -hmm. boundaries in my life. One, because I'm a mom of two now. So I can't have the same amount of just people in my inner circle. Otherwise it would take away from my family. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us, when we put up a boundary around or not against people, but then when we see them, we're awkward and we're like, oh, you're not as close anymore. And so I can't connect in the same way. I still can be kind and loving, but still protect my values Mm -hmm. and my space. I don't know if that answered the question. No, totally. I, there's also a quote that says like people who get upset about boundaries are the people who benefited from your lack of. Right. Yes. I've heard that one too. And so for me, it's like, okay, if you're, let's say hypothetically, if you're dating someone and you put a boundary or you let them know like, Hey, I'm saving myself for marriage. You know, I want to walk in purity in this relationship. And let's say you decide this three months into the relationship and you're dating this person and they say, okay, great. But then later are upset. They're mad at you. They're trying to, you know, walk the line of temptation. Well, how far can we go if we're not, they're not, that to me is showing they don't respect you or your boundary. And so they're upset because your lack of the boundary previously they benefited from. And you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast, you know, come on for relationship advice and stuff like that. And so I always love to add a little element. Um, but I do think if you're listening and you're trying to walk, you know, a, a purity, you know, you're in your purity journey um, and you're dating someone who isn't respecting that boundary, I think it's safe to say that they don't respect you, which is like a huge red flag <laughs> and a goodbye. <laughs> For sure. And I, th- I think there's, with you saying that there's also an element when you're on a journey of healing and getting healthy, especially when it's with purity and it, it, there's a grieving also that comes with 
oh, I actually, these people actually can't come with me anymore. Cause a lot of times it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't want to set up those boundaries cause I don't want to lose those friends because there's a lot of history, but a lot of the history wasn't actually creating the life that you wanted, which is why you're getting healthy and you're going after mm-hmm. healing. And so I think there's also an element of you lose people along the way, but because mm-hmm. you're building a life that you actually desire and you want to be healthy and whole and some people won't be able to withstand that anymore and they'll just drop off. And I think we don't talk about the fact that that's a bummer. Like there's a grief that Mm -hmm. comes with, oh, I'm going after this in my life and I know this is what I want, but it does mean that people get left behind along the way if they're not actually willing to get healed and healthy and whole as well. And then there's a space where you kind of have to build new friendships with these new established boundaries where you're actually kind of creating a different world for yourself and your friendships to Mm -hmm. thrive in. And the old ones don't thrive anymore. Cause like you said, they were benefiting from your lack of boundaries in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could share a prime example of that when I decided I was going to save myself for marriage. I mean, it was a total lifestyle change for me. And I think I was maybe nine months in And I was in Miami for work and got around old group of friends at the club, drank too much. That was the one time I slipped up. And then after that, like, that's when I had to finally put in that boundary. Like, I can no longer do this. I can't go out. I can't be drinking. I, that's a boundary number. I can't be around these friends anymore. And that's sad. Like, I really grieved it for a long time. Like, I can't be around them, not because they're bad people, but my why is so much greater than like this. Yeah, like, like this isn't what I want. And when I'm in this environment, it leads to something I don't want. And so those boundaries needed to be into play. And I've grieved so many friendship losses on my process of becoming who I am today. And like, like you had mentioned earlier, like it's not like I'm not cordial or friendly or loving with these people when I see them. It's just a different friendship. Yeah. Can you touch on... um the why behind what we do. I know I kind of just shared like a little story, but how important is like the why behind what we do as a driving force? I think when you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, then you just do without thinking. And Mm. a lot of our responses and reactions in life are just conditioned responses to fear or anxiety or pain or feeling alone. And we don't actually question and get curious about, okay, why do every time I get overwhelmed at the end of the day, do I pour myself a glass of wine? Like we just do it. It's our, oh, I like to drink wine with when I cook and it could be any number of things. But if we're finding certain patterns in our life or certain cycles that we're doing the same thing over and over again, and we know that it's not serving us. And maybe it did at one point, but it's not serving us anymore. I think if we don't know why and get to the root of what actually is not causing me, but empowering me, not in a good way to make this choice. And a lot of times, no matter how much I've tried to get away from this, because I always hate, hated when therapists would ask me like, tell me about your parents. Tell me about your childhood. I'm like, can we not talk about my childhood? (laughs) Because I just hated talking about my childhood, but I can't get away from it. I just can't. And I've tried so many times, but no matter what I, it always goes back to Mm -hmm. memories in childhood and how we were raised. And it's so many of our painful memories often come from 
the ages of like six to 12 is those memories where we were made fun of or somebody pointed something out. And it's because those childhood years are our formative years, that zero to six of attachment forming. And then that like eight to 16 of the identity forming years. And that's the reason why we have to go back to childhood because foundations were laid in that time that are causing us to do what we're doing now without thinking, which is why they're just conditioned responses. We saw, this isn't my situation, but like mom always getting angry when she felt overwhelmed at the end of the day. And we're finding ourselves in 25, 30 years old and we get angry every, cause it's a conditioned response. It's a learned response to what we saw in childhood. And so I think we have to get curious about why we do what we do. Otherwise we just become habits, creatures of habit from not just our own behaviors growing up, but somebody else's that isn't serving us anymore. And so the why I find empowers me to actually show up differently because I actually know, oh, right now I'm checking out because this is what I would do when I was younger to protect myself from the fact that I never felt like anybody really saw me when I was hurting or insecure. And so now as an adult, I check out because that's what I did when I was a kid. And so knowing the why is empowering because then we're not just doing and thinking and making dumb decisions where we're like, I don't know why I made that choice, but it's when we get curious about the why we can actually figure out that there's pain and there's Mm -hmm. roots and lies that we believed and belief systems that are actually driving our current life. But those belief systems, we didn't pick up yesterday. We picked them up 25 years ago as a kid. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy how everything goes back to our childhood. It's so annoying. It's so annoying. I remember the first time I went to therapy, I was like, I think 24, 25. And I went because I was going through a breakup with an ex. And I was like, maybe I need to see therapy because I... I wanted to go to talk about my ex-boyfriend and I was telling my therapist the story and the first, and I'll never forget this. The first thing she said was, tell me about your parents. Mm. (laughs) And that's when I first realized like everything goes back to how you were conditioned from a child. And I, that's why I'm such a firm believer in therapy because a lot of times we get like, at least for me, like I was able to understand more why I behave the way I behave. And in that sense, I became more self-aware and I'm able to heal from those and like change my behavior now that I'm aware of where it came from and not just like I'm crazy situation. It's like, no, I was conditioned this way. Yes. And that's why I say, that's why it feels empowering because Mm -hmm. a lot of it feels powerless. Like, I don't know, this is just how I cope with pain and feeling not seen as I just check out and that feels really powerless. And when we get stuck in cycles of powerlessness, it just gets really dark and swirly in there. And so when you figure out why, then you're like, oh, I can actually do something about it. The worst feeling in the world is feeling powerless. Like you can't do anything about it. But when you can figure out why you do what you do, our brains are plastic. And so they can actually change, which means that we actually have the ability to actually change the way we think so that we don't have to live the same life that we've always lived. How, this might be like a a silly question, but how does one figure out their why? Like what if someone is listening and they're like, I don't know what my why is. Like where where do they go back to find it? Oh, like your own personal why? Like why you get up in Mm -hmm. the morning? Mm -hmm. I think it changes. I mean, 
I don't think my why has been the same. I think it gets refined. And I think mm. getting married and having kids, like my why is constantly being refined and restructured. Mm-hmm. But I think you find your why when you actually go after the things that are inside of you. I think it's really hard to find a why when you're just surviving because mm-hmm. your why is just to get to the next day, to get the work day over, to get to the next payday, mm-hmm. to get to the weekend, to whatever. And when it's when you come from that kind of powerlessness place, your why is just survival. But when you can actually face yourself and everything that is inside of you, your thoughts and feelings and past pain and belief systems, then you can actually find a bigger reason for waking up in the morning than just surviving. Like my Mm -hmm. why right now is to help women not feel so stuck in the same way that I did for so many years. Mm -hmm. But I would, that wouldn't have been my why six years ago. My why was like, I just got to get up. Like I just got to get up, face another day. Like hopefully I don't check out or get into an anxiety swirl today or lash out at my husband or something. And so I think finding your why is a process. I don't, there's a great find your why by Simon Sinek. It's a really great book and it's more for business, but you can find your own personal why in it too. But I think he has like a, some kind of, I wish I could remember his quotes. You're really good at remembering quotes for everything. And I, I don't <laughs> remember them. I, I'm just like, there's a really good book by somebody and he says really cool things. Well, that's, a, that's important. Then they'll just have to read the book. <laughs> Like, I feel like we should have a why in each area of our life. Like for me, like me seeking therapy, like my why is like, I want to break generational curses. Like I want to be, like you said, the mom that is welcoming my children into the home. Like, tell me what happened in school today so I can make you feel better and make you feel seen and make you feel understood and make you feel heard. Yeah. My why within ministry is like, I want to help women who are in bad dating situations and they they want to start walking in purity and they don't want to seek men to be fulfilled. My why in my marriage is the same, like breaking generational curses of having a healthy marriage so like our children and grandchildren and all that like can can follow in, in our footsteps. And so I do think, yeah, I think we can have a why in every season. And, and I think it goes back to like being stuck. I think when we're stuck, we don't know what our why is. Yeah, because we can't develop a why when we're, like I said, like when we're in survival, it's Mm -hmm. really hard to kind of get even in the headspace of thinking outside of ourselves. I don't know if you've ever seen that Maslow's hierarchy of needs where Mm -hmm. on the bottom, it's like just safety and survival. And then the top is like, um, in, I don't know if it's enlightenment. It's kind of like woo woo, but Mm -hmm. something like that. Like you can't actually go after your dreams if you're basic needs for survival and not just like physical needs, but emotional, mental, if your basic Mm -hmm. needs aren't met. So I think it's hard to have a more esteemed why when you're, when your goal in life is just surviving. So I want to end on this because I, when you wrote this down to me, I was like, wow, that's so powerful because I feel like oftentimes people are praying to God for something but they're not putting in any work. Like they're not doing anything. They're like, why won't God bring me a husband? Well, are you working on you? Like, are are you the person that you want to be for the spouse? Um, And so you had said, God saves us, but he doesn't make our choices for us. Can you elaborate on that? 
I love it so much. I think I can even break it down how I do it with my four-year-old because my four-year-old, <laughs> he's having really bad dreams right now. And it it's really all consuming, like the fear and the anxiety that he gets at nighttime. And he started, because we would just pray and like pray for good dreams and like, God, would you just come and give him good dreams? But then he started, I saw him starting to rely on that routine prayer as the thing that would keep him from having bad dreams. Like he would ask us like six times a night, like, can you just pray for me? Can you just pray that I wouldn't have bad dreams? Can you just pray? And I'd be like, baby, I already prayed for you three times. And he'd be like, just pray again. Like just pray. And I've had to teach him like, Jesus, like God already heard your prayer, but now it's, he's not going to change what you're thinking. Like if you Mm -hmm. keep thinking about scary things, it doesn't matter how many times we pray, you're still going to think of scary things. And I think it's such a good picture because he's four, but he's just wanting this prayer to kind of cover up his fears. But I'm having to teach him like, it's actually a co-laboring, like God does his part, but then we have to do our part too. And I think a lot of us in the church and even just without like a full understanding of what it looks like to partner with God, that we just are waiting for the altar call to take our pain away. Mm-hmm. And I I love the scripture. I always forget what it is, but you shall know the truth and the truth will, t- truth will set you free. The actual meaning of that verse is you shall know the truth and that truth will set you on a process of freedom. And I think a lot of times we're just expecting instant freedom. Instantly, this takes away from me. Like instantly, I don't have a desire to sleep around anymore. Instantly, I don't feel like drinking anymore, which there are testimonies like that that are beautiful. But there's always a process of undoing because instant breakthrough like that doesn't just completely restore the way that our brains are made. Sometimes it does. Like sometimes you get those testimonies where it's like, I never struggled with drinking ever again. Um, but most of the time it's like, oh, that urge to always drink was taken away when I went for that altar call or something. But then I actually had to go home, get all the alcohol out of my house, call my sponsor, um, set up meetings, continue to go after the thought patterns that I have that have drawn me to drinking in the first place, go back to childhood pain where my dad was always drinking. And that's when I actually picked up the addiction. Like there's work on the other side, like the process of freedom. And I love that language because instead of it being 100% up to God to free us, it's like God, God's will is to always set us free and to always heal us and to always restore us. But then we have to do our part too. Like my son, God will take away his bad dreams, but if he puts himself in a situation where he's continuing to think about scary things, there's God, it's not like God is going to be like, I don't even know. Like, I don't want to make God out to sound to be not a good dad. But as a mom, I'm like, he's not going to take away the scary thoughts that you're thinking about yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just, when I was able to recognize the co-laboring of God and myself, like I have a powerful testimony of just freedom from my past pain. I was in my closet and I was just mad at God. Like I got into all these situations with guys and just, hard stuff. And I was taking it out on God. I was like, I don't know why I had to go through all this stuff. Like nobody else in my family had to. And I heard him so clearly say, like, I was there the whole time. You just didn't choose me. And he Mm. took me through this, like these flashes of all the most painful times in my life. And where I was 
at my worst. I was crying. I was broken. And he was in the room every single time. And I just had my back turned to him. And it's so often we just expect him to rescue us and save us. But we have to be like, we're, we love because he loved us first. Like we can, Mm -hmm. he always loved us first. His choosing of us, his healing, his redemption, his restoration is always there, but we have to turn around and choose it too. It's like a marriage. It's why I love why, how marriage is the picture of our, of God's relationship with us, because my husband can pick me all he wants, but if I don't choose him back, then it's not a relationship. He just has Mm -hmm. to chase me down and that's not actual love. So I love that God uses the picture of marriage for, for his relationship between him and us of like, one person can't be doing the choosing. The other person has to choose back and it's a co laboring. It's a relationship. We do it together. That's so powerful. The the picture of like, I was always there. You just had your back towards me. I instantly was like flashes of like, you know, hard times in my life where it's the same thing. You know, people are always saying, oh my gosh, you're so lucky you have this healthy marriage, healthy relationship. Yes, I am lucky. But I also, it was two years of literally excruciating, like pain, grieving loss of friendships, literally changing into a completely different person. It wasn't like I just decided I want a healthy relationship and God was like, I'm going to present you your dream man. He's going to be right around the corner. No, it's like you have to put in the work and that that goes for anything, whether you want to work on your kindness, whether you want to get sober, you want to be in a healthy relationship. God's going to be with you through that process. And of course he wants that for you, but you have to co-labor with him. He's not just going to give you the miracle. And that's where our authority is like, It's Mm -hmm. in the pressing of the olives where the oil comes out. Like it's in the pressing where our authority actually, like look how many people you're able to help now. Because I always Mm -hmm. say like, if my pain and all of my cycles were taken away in a moment and I never struggled with them again, I wouldn't actually have the tools to be able to help walk somebody else out of it. I would just be like, sorry, I can't help you. Like I just prayed and one day it was gone. Like our authority (laughs) lies in the in the pressing, in the, Mm -hmm. in the work, in showing up, in choosing the right thing, even when it's hard in trusting in God, even though all we want to do is just check out. It's, that is where our authority is built. And that's where people actually get to eat from the fruit of the trees that we labored and toiled with God to build. Mm -hmm. So, so good. I'm encouraged and I'm inspired. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on here. This was so much fun. I I have a feeling you have like a couple books you could recommend, maybe like one or two. What was the book you recommended earlier? I think it's called Find Your Why. And then I'm going to recommend a book because I think it's good for this topic, but Boundaries. I'll link it in the description. My husband read it, changed his life. I haven't read it because my husband gives me the cliff notes of all of his books. So I feel like I don't have to read them and he reads two a month. So I feel like I read two a month. (laughs) But I'll link that in the description of the episode because I do not know the author. Either way, there's going to be a link. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. So last, you know, last minute, Um, your words carry so much weight. And I I know that people are going to be encouraged from this episode. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, have the best Monday. Bye.